Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. She is worth more than precious gems. She can be trusted. She is a woman of strength and dignity and has no fear of old age. When she speaks, her words are wise, and kindness is the rule for everything she says. She watches carefully all that goes on throughout her household and is never lazy. Her children stand and bless her, so does her husband. He praises her with these words, There are many fine women in the world, but you are the best of them all. Charm can be deceptive, and beauty doesn't last. But a woman who fears and reverences God shall be greatly praised. Praise her for the many fine things she does. These good deeds of hers shall bring her honor and recognition from people of importance. Many of you will recognize these familiar verses selected from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 31. You sometimes hear them spoken at a funeral for a woman who has loved and served her family and her Lord faithfully. With Mother's Day, we might consider some of the qualities we might look for and hopefully find in an ideal mother. She would certainly be a woman of integrity and wisdom, and one who demonstrates kindness and compassion in all her ways. The notes from the Life Application Bible that I use say that her strength and dignity do not come from her amazing achievements. Instead, they are a result of her reverence for God. In chapter 31, physical appearance is never mentioned. Her attractiveness comes from her character. The notes say that we should not see her as a model to imitate in every detail because we will not live that long. We should see her as an inspiration to be all that we can be. We can't be just like this ideal woman, but we can learn from her industry, integrity, and resourcefulness. The notes for the last verse of Proverbs 31 state, The book of Proverbs begins with the command to trust and reverence the Lord and ends with the picture of a woman who fulfills this command. Her qualities are mentioned throughout the book. Hard work, fear of God, respect for spouse, foresight, encouragement, care for others, concern for the poor, wisdom in handling money. These qualities, when coupled with fear of God, lead to enjoyment, success, honor, and worth. Proverbs is very practical for our day because it shows us how to become wise, make good decisions, and live according to God's ideal. End of quote. I'm going to back up and start with the early part of Proverbs and give you some verses that relate to all of us, if we are wise, and particularly to mothers as we focus on them today. I'm sure you have heard the phrase, a word to the wise. So here are some words to the wise for you today from the book of Proverbs. For the Lord grants wisdom. His every word is a treasure of knowledge and understanding. He shows how to distinguish right from wrong, how to find the right decision every time. For wisdom and truth will enter the very center of your being, filling your life with joy. Stay on the right path. Only good women enjoy life to the full. Trust the Lord completely. Don't ever trust yourself. In everything you do, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Have two goals, wisdom, that is knowing and doing right, and common sense. Don't let them slip away. 
I would have you learn this great fact, that a life of doing right is the wisest life there is. Be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. Happy are all who follow my instructions. Reverence and fear of God are basic to all wisdom. Knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. Wisdom is its own reward, and if you scorn her, you hurt only yourself. The hope of good women is eternal happiness. The good shall never lose God's blessings. If you search for good, you will find God's favor. A worthy wife is her husband's joy and crown. Obey God's word and succeed. A wise woman builds her home. To do right honors God. Reverence for God gives a woman deep strength. Her children have a place of refuge and security. The Lord is watching everywhere. The Lord loves those who try to be good. The Lord delights in kind words. Commit your work to the Lord, then it will succeed. God blesses those who obey Him. Happy the woman who puts her trust in the Lord. The man who finds a wife finds a good thing. She is a blessing to him from the Lord. Discipline your son in his early years while there is hope. If you don't, you will ruin his life. Get all the advice you can and be wise the rest of your life. Kindness makes a woman attractive, and it is better to be poor than dishonest. A good woman lives a godly life. The woman who tries to be good, loving, and kind finds life righteousness, and honor. Keep your mouth closed and you'll stay out of trouble. Everyone respects the words of an honest woman. Teach a child to choose the right path, and when he is older, he will remain upon it. Happy is the generous woman. Listen to this wise advice. Follow it closely, for it will do you good and you can pass it on to others. Trust in the Lord. Don't refuse to accept criticism. Get all the help you can. Don't fail to correct your children. Discipline won't hurt them. Punishment will keep them out of hell. Continue to reverence the Lord all the time. Be wise and stay in God's paths. God will reward everyone according to her deeds. Blessed is the woman who reveres God. Wise women try to keep peace. A wise woman holds her temper in and cools it. Scolding and spanking a child helps him to learn. Left to himself, he brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you happiness and peace of mind. To trust in God means safety. Every word of God proves true. After hearing me read these verses from Proverbs, I hope you can tell why I enjoy reading a chapter of Proverbs nearly every day. There is just so much wisdom and valuable instructions for daily living packed in that book. And you would be amazed at how many verses that get quoted are from the book of Proverbs. Do you remember the verse, idle hands are the devil's workshop? That's a familiar one, isn't it? But do you know the last half of that verse? And idle lips are his mouthpiece. I had not heard that second part until a few years back, but isn't it so true? Idle hands are the devil's workshop, and idle lips are his mouthpiece. Now listen to these verses from Proverbs 17, 27, and 28. The woman of few words and settled mind is wise. Therefore, even a fool is thought to be wise when she is silent. 
It pays her to keep her mouth shut. As I look back over my life, I can think of several times I wish I had followed that advice. I especially like the notes on these two verses. And they state, This proverb highlights several benefits of silence. Number one, it is the best policy if you have nothing worthwhile to say. Number two, it allows you the opportunity to listen and learn. And number three, it gives you something in common with those who are wiser. So if you are a woman looking for wisdom, Proverbs is certainly a good place to start your search. There are lots of special mothers I could tell you about today, including my mother, Sophronia Jordan Knott, and Kay's mother, Vitus Hinton Carroll. But today, I want to tell you about a very special mother who lived several centuries ago, but whose influence is being felt even to this day. I will be reading from the One Year Christian History book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. One of the most famous mothers of all time was Susanna Wesley. Among her 19 children were John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist Church. Susanna was born in 1669 or 1670, the 25th and youngest child of Dr. Samuel Ansley, a magazine editor and pastor in London who was a leader of the dissenters. And the dissenters were those who refused to conform to the Church of England, which was the Anglican Church. Young Susanna was very bright and educated herself reading the many books in her father's house. She listened to many debates in her home on the differences between the Church of England and dissenting churches like her father's, always of her own opinion. Susanna became convinced that dissent was wrong, and to her family's great surprise, she left her father's church at the age of 13 and joined the Church of England. It was also at the age of 13 that Susanna met her future husband, Samuel Wesley. Like Susanna, Samuel had grown up in a dissenting family, but had disagreed with them and joined the Church of England. Samuel married Susanna a few months after he graduated from Oxford. He was 26 and Susanna was 19. Samuel was ordained in the Anglican Church and eventually became pastor in the parish of Epworth. Susanna gave birth to a baby a year, but by early 1702, the Wesleys had but one surviving son and five daughters. Eight children had died. Both Samuel and Susanna were dogmatic, stubborn, and strong-willed, with deeply held political allegiances. Both were Tories, but Samuel was an enthusiastic supporter of King William III while Susanna's sympathies were with James II, who was in exile in France. When Samuel interceded for our sovereign lord, King William, in evening prayers, Susanna apparently silently substituted James for William. When word came that James II had died in France, Susanna stopped saying amen at the end of the prayer. When Samuel learned the reason why, he told her, You and I must part. For if we have two kings, we must have two beds. He moved into another room of the house and finally went to London, saying he would never return. That could have been the end of their family, except for another change in royalty. King William died in March and was succeeded by Queen Anne, who had the loyalty of both Wesleys. Samuel then returned from London, but they continued to sleep in separate rooms. It took a fire in July of 1702 that burned three-quarters of their home to bring Samuel back to his senses and to his wife. They began sharing the same bed in August, and on June the 17th, 1703, 
John Wesley, their 15th child, was born. He owed his very existence to a fire and to the crowning of Queen Anne. Charles Wesley was born four years later, the 18th child. Susanna Wesley's sons, John and Charles, both personally trusted Christ in 1738 and went on to found what became the Methodist Church. Susanna, however, was critical of their conversions. Then, on September the 3rd, 1739, John Wesley had a conversation with his mother that both surprised and thrilled him. She told him that until recently she had never understood that a person could experience the forgiveness of sins in this life or that God's Spirit could witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Then she said, Two or three weeks ago, while my son Hall was pronouncing those words and delivering the cup to me, and this was what he said, The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, the words struck through my heart, and I knew God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven me all my sins. Three years later, Susanna Wesley died, sharing the same assurance of sins forgiven as her son's. All of Susanna Wesley's family and friends assumed that she was a Christian, but in fact, until near the end of her life, she had been very religious, but had never experienced the personal forgiveness of sins. And the question here in the reflection section is, have you personally committed your life to Jesus Christ, or are you just being religious as Susanna was for so many years? I want to recount to you some of the story of the life of John Wesley. An interesting story, to be sure, and in a second fire the Wesley family experienced, they thought five-year-old John had died in the fire. That first fire that had brought Samuel Wesley back to his senses and to his wife was really, in a real sense, what we might say that John was the child of their reconciliation. And now I also want to read a little bit more about Susanna from a piece I got off the Internet from the Church History Timeline. Susanna bore 19 children. Ten survived. The frequent absences of her husband on church business left the management of the household in her hands. Through it all, she remained a steadfast Christian who taught not only through the scriptures, but through her own example of daily trust in God. She once wrote, We must know God experientially, for unless the heart perceive and know Him to be the supreme good, her only happiness, unless the soul feel and acknowledge that, she can have no repose, no peace, no joy but in loving and being loved by Him. The children were raised strictly. They were taught to cry softly, to eat what was put before them, and not to raise their voices or play noisily. Physical punishment was used, but confession of faults could avoid it. All but one of the children learned to read from the age of five, including the girls. Susanna made it a rule for herself to spend an hour a day with each of the children over the period of a week. After the fire of 1709, family discipline broke down, but Susanna managed to restore it later. She paid special attention to John, who was almost lost in the fire. He referred to himself as a brand plucked from the burning fire. As a matter of fact, that is engraved on his tombstone, a brand plucked from the burning fire. And his mother said that she intended to be more particularly careful of the soul of this child that thou hast so mercifully provided for than ever I have been, that I may do my endeavors to instill in his mind the disciplines of thy true religion and virtue. It is said that at the age of six or seven, John thought he would never marry because I could never find such a woman as my father had. After Samuel Wesley died in 1735, Susanna lived with her children, especially in her last year with John. 
She died on July 23, 1742, and was buried in London's Burnhill Fields, where John Bunyan and Isaac Watts are also buried. Her sons won tens of thousands of souls to Christ. She would not have wished for more. What a remarkable Christian wife and mother Susanna Wesley was. She wrote her own epitaph on the hearts of her children. The influence of this godly wife and mother who reverenced God and put her faith and trust in His unfailing goodness and providential care is certainly an inspiration for all of us women. I have a pad at home with a quote around the border that says, A hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove. But the world may be a different place because I was important in the life of a child. Susanna Wesley's life made a difference. Your life can also make a positive difference in a child's life. Now, some of you listening may not be married now, and some of you may have never been married, and some of you have no children. But that does not mean that you cannot make a difference in the lives of children by interacting with them and by being a positive influence in their lives. You don't have to be a mother or a grandmother to invest in the lives of children in your neighborhood, in the lives of nieces and nephews, or in the lives of children in your church. If you love children and you love God and want to serve Him, one way you can do this is by teaching children, being a good influence in their lives and pointing them to God. You can volunteer to teach children in Sunday school, or you can volunteer to serve in the nursery at church, or with children's choir, or be a helper or an assistant teacher. Maybe you have gotten too old to help with children's programs, or maybe your health will not permit it. I can tell you one important thing you can do. You can pray. You can pray for parents to bring their children to church, and you can pray for the teachers. And believe me, in some cases, those prayers are definitely needed. It was Robert Louis Stevenson who said, Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. We are all planting seeds, but what kind of seeds are we planting? The Bible tells us we reap what we sow, so we need to be sure that we are planting seeds in children that hopefully one day will produce a harvest of wisdom, common sense, and goodness. When we believe in Jesus Christ and accept Him as our Lord and Savior, we are born into God's family. When that happens, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes into us and controls our lives. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we cannot produce that kind of fruit in our own lives, let alone the lives of children or anyone else for that matter. But that is why it is so important that we trust in Christ and His promises and His unfailing love and blessings. Remember, I read those verses from Proverbs that said, The good shall never lose God's blessings, and search for good, and you will find God's favor. And God loves those who try to be good. Now, there may be some of you who are thinking, Well, I believe I did plant good seeds. I took my children to church. I prayed for them. I tried to set a good example, and my children have not turned out to have much wisdom or common sense, and they are not so good. Well, there is a lot about raising children that I don't understand either. All I do know is that God is in control, and He is good, and I have faith in Him, even when I don't understand why things turn out like they do. And perhaps you are listening, and you know you did make many mistakes as a mother, And you know better now, but your children are grown and you can't undo what was done in those early years. I would advise you to pray, and I know that God will hear you. And He is loving, He is kind, He is faithful, He is good, 
and He is merciful, and best of all, He is forgiving. Unfortunately, we cannot avoid the consequences for our bad decisions and poor choices, and sometimes those consequences are very painful. But my hope for you and for us all, today and every day, is in God. I want to read you this from the reflection section found in the One Year Christian History book. What is the legacy that you wish to pass on to your children and grandchildren? It might be worthwhile to write letters to your children and grandchildren explaining what you hold dear and what you wish them to take from you. Such a letter is sometimes referred to as an ethical will and can be of much more value to our descendants than the possessions they might receive from our last will and testament. And I certainly think this might also be an appropriate and worthwhile endeavor for an aunt or uncle or neighbor who has been special in a child's life. In closing, I want to read the words of a familiar hymn by Robert Coleman, Let Others See Jesus in You. And with my apologies to Mr. Coleman, I will be substituting the word children for others. As I direct this song to all of us who have children in our lives, whether they are age 3 or 43, and whether they are ours or someone else's children, we all need to try to live the words written in this hymn. While passing through this world of sin, and children your life shall view, be clean and pure without, within. Let children see Jesus in you. Your life's a book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do children see Jesus in you? What joy twill be at set of sun in mansions beyond the blue? To find some souls that you have won, let children see Jesus in you. Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave and true, and lead the lost to life and light. Let children see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let children see Jesus in you. Hope thou in God. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening.
You have been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carroll Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 